welcome to With Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. I'm Elle Kammerer. And today, we're not talking about any chapters, because there's no more chapters to talk about. No, we are discussing the whole book, essentially, because mm-hmm. we finally finished Pride and Prejudice, and we're going to just chat about what our thoughts are about the book now that we've completely read it, and it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. We wrote essays. Sort of. (laughs) I wrote an essay. (laughs) Yeah, I I know you probably did. I have like a couple paragraphs of notes of generally what I'm going to say, but I'm totally flying by the seat of my pants. (laughs) The two types of English majors, friends. (laughs) Yeah. Let me put it this way. So Katrina and I were roommates, and a lot of times we had the same classes. So we what would do you have mean? Similar all papers. the times we had the same classes? <laughs> Not all the time, because you would, you took more lit classes than yeah. I did. Because okay, I was yeah, a writing, I was a writing emphasis. Yeah. But anyway, so we would have a lot of the same papers, and Katrina would start them like days early, and like research, and spend a, a couple of. You did. Did I? There were certain ones, yes. Okay, there were certain ones I did. Most of them I did. You would, like, do some research. (laughs) Yeah. But then, like, you might spend, like, oh, an hour one night just, like, writing a little bit and blah, blah, blah. But either way, I know the day that they were due, because a lot of times they were, like, due to the teacher by midnight or something. You would, like, start before dinner and write them that night, whereas I would start at, like, 8 p.m. <laughs> but I and then still just wouldn't write to finish. <laughs> oh, no, you wouldn't. But that's the difference. Like, you gave yourself plenty of time and you right. thought things through and you had the book open in front of you. And I was just like, okay, it's 8 o'clock. I should probably uh, figure out what the fuck I'm going to write about. <laughs> Most of the time it took me so long to write because I would just complain about the paper for hours. Which is another reason why, like, sometimes you would start them earlier. Like, because yeah. normally we would have, like, what, five-page essays and stuff like that. Which but, is like, nothing. Like, no. I can write five pages in an hour now. Easy peasy. Yeah. Well, so then we would have those 10-page papers. Those are the ones you would start early, and I would still write them 8 p.m. the night before. Those 10-pagers killed me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just find as many block quotes as possible. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That's my strategy. Seriously. Seriously. Yep. Yep. (laughs) 10-page paper in four hours. Less than. <laughs> no, about four hours. Yeah, 10 page paper in four hours. There you go. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, do you want to start with your essay, considering the fact that uh, mine is a little bit more casual? Sure. Yes. So let's let's present our audience with the essay question. So our essay question is, what parts of Pride and Prejudice stood out the most? And what spoke to you? the most in this read-through, which to be more specific, this read-through is, we're reading it as women in our 30-somethings. And I think this is the second read for both of us? Yes. Yes. So before we read it in our 20s, now we're in our 30s and we're reading it again. So, and I, I think mine is almost 10 years. Yep. Mine is 10 years. Yeah. Like almost exactly. So, yeah. But anyway, I would like to hear your thoughts. I will be quiet now. Okay. So the main question of my essay is, what does it mean to be married? So 
I was really interested this time in looking at the different characters in the novel and what they thought about marriage and how marriage was presented, hoping that would give me insight into the question of what does it mean to be married? So my prior thinking before I read this book, if I'm just sitting here thinking about marriage, it's the things that stick out to me are love and companionship. It's forever, so you have to make it work. Make sure the person you marry is aligned with your personality and views. Everyone gets married. It's hard, but it doesn't have to be if you communicate and compromise. And then there are lots of comparisons. Like, I always feel that I look out and think, I don't want a marriage like so-and-so, right? That's my prior thinking. That's what I used to think when I was younger. So I was setting out to see if my thinking from that time had changed after I examined marriage in Pride and Prejudice. So what does marriage look like in Pride and Prejudice? I'm going to give you three main examples. My first example comes from Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. I'm sure it's very frustrating being a spouse to each in that marriage. (laughs) Uh, Probably. Mr. Bennett is annoyed by Mrs. Bennett's talking and carrying on. She's flighty. She's she's uncouth. She's sporadic. She's hyper. And he copes with all of this by teasing her mercilessly. But in the end, mostly he does what she wants. For example, he calls on Bingley and invites him over. He lets Lydia and Wickham come to stay. And yes, he's being a good father in this. But also, he is doing what Mrs. Bennett wants him to do after he has already teased her and said no he's not going to do it which I thought was interesting so Mrs. Bennett is hyper yes and very misguided she only seems to care for material and superficial things in relation to her and her daughters however I do think that Mr. Bennett's teasing adds to this it spurs her on to hysterics I mean she already is hysterical so why exacerbate it further So after thinking about the Bennets separately and then together, I have deemed that this is not a happy marriage. Surprise, surprise. But it's not totally doomed, right? Each spouse gets enough out of it to satisfy themselves on a personal level. But there's no mutual satisfaction between them. Okay. My next example is Mr. Collins and Charlotte. This is a marriage of tolerance. For Charlotte. She is getting what she needs and also, in a way, helping out her family in that she doesn't have to be a burden to her family, essentially, anymore. I attest that Charlotte doesn't want to be married, but must do so out of necessity, obviously. I also attest that Mr. Collins is the first man to come along that can give Charlotte the kind of life she wants, a life that is peaceful, There's no real worry for money, and it's someone who will keep enough distance, right? He's not always Mm going to be up in her business. Mm -hmm. Mr. Collins, despite his many faults, can give her all of this, but for a price. He's stupid, he's insipid, and he's judgmental, but Charlotte can handle it, and she still lives the life she wants despite all of that. For example... 
she doesn't hide the fact that she is over the moon with Lizzie and Darcy get engaged mm-hmm. and get married, right? She reacts mm-hmm. the way that she wants to. She is who she is. And there's no backlash onto her for that, right? Mm-hmm. So despite it being a marriage of tolerance and it seems like these two, hmm, um, it is tranquil, I have decided after looking mm-hmm. at it. It's a tranquil marriage. It's And it's also kind of a symbiotic relationship in that Mr. Collins is married to someone who is sensible, who may potentially teach him a thing or two over time. Mm-hmm. Maybe, fingers crossed, Mr. Collins won't be such a giant asshole if he spends <laughs> enough time with Charlotte. Who knows? <laughs> Extra um, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> and then Charlotte gets to live a life that will sustain her and it will make her happy in the long run. Mm-hmm. Okay. My third example isn't just one couple, it's two. So it's the Hursts versus the Gardners. Ooh, okay. And I chose to do that because we don't get super in-depth into either marriage, but we do see enough on the surface to make some general, well-educated assumptions. Okay, I like that. Yeah. So the Hursts have probably not the best marriage, Mrs. Hurst, being the eldest Bingley sister, likely had to marry based on family choice, right? She's Mm -hmm. the oldest girl from a high society family. She probably didn't get uh, much of a say in who her husband was, especially with how tiresome her husband is. Like, he only (laughs) cares about food and gambling and playing cards. So he also probably isn't super attentive. In fact, we know he's not super attentive to Mm -hmm. her. And then on the flip side, we have the gardeners. They are very happy. Both are very smart. They're very wise. They seem to enjoy similar pursuits, and they like spending time together, right? They're going to go on a huge long trip to the lakes, and originally going alone, and then, of course, they invite Lizzie. But the fact that they were planning this before they invited Lizzie shows that they are willing to spend lots of time together and Mm -hmm. that they enjoy spending time together. Mm -hmm. So... What does this all mean? Like, between the hearse and the gardeners, right? What does Mm -hmm. this all mean? I think perhaps Austin is commenting on society as a whole. And I think maybe she might be saying people with, like, extreme wealth and affluence have a very different set of obligations than people without that. The very, very affluent and elite who likely don't work very much are more concerned with preserving the wealth they have and acquiring more through investments and marriage. While Mm -hmm. those who work hard for their money know that acquiring more will mean like business expansion, not necessarily through marriage. So they get more of a choice in picking out a partner who will likely align with their ideals as opposed to somebody affluent who is looking to preserve wealth. Makes sense. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. basically I think she might be saying she being Austin – Don't settle acquiring more wealth on marriage alone. You have to work to make money just as you have to work to be in a happy marriage. And I think she might be saying that the working class understand this better than the elite, potentially. All right. Now that we've examined different types of marriages, I'm going to talk about what characters say about marriage. And I just have three examples. The first character is Charlotte. I think Charlotte gets the fact that different people have different ideas about marriage, so she tailors her advice to the recipient. 
For example, she warns Lizzie not to be too impertinent to Darcy, not to deny him a dance at the Netherfield Ball because he is so affluent. And she's basically saying, you never know. She also leads <laughs> Lizzie to entertain the possibility that he has feelings for her when he visits her at Hunsford. Charlotte also warns Lizzie not to be too into Wickham as she doesn't really know him. I think to Lizzie, Charlotte's caution seems so at odds with how quickly she accepts Mr. Collins, right? That's why mm -hmm. Lizzie is so upset. But perhaps Lizzie doesn't understand Charlotte as much as she thinks she does. I believe Charlotte does follow her own cautious advice. I attest that Charlotte made up her mind a long time ago about Mr. Collins. Not literally Mr. Collins, but the first interested individual of quality that came along. I think maybe Charlotte had like a list of ideals that she wants out of a marriage, and the first man to check most of those boxes would be the one for her. So mm -hmm. it's not the man she's married to, it's the life. And she knew this about herself before Mr. Collins came along. Mm -hmm. Now here's what Jane thinks about marriage. Jane's ideas come from the advice she gives Lizzie at the end of Pride and Prejudice. Do anything but marry without affection, right? Mm -hmm. Jane is the sister who is practical yet also romantic. She is aware and respectful of the rules and consequences with forming a match. She knows that she needs to be reserved with Bingley out of a sense of decorum, but her shyness exacerbates this reserve. And to other parties, she may seem cold and indifferent, even though it's really none of that party's business. But I digress. Despite this for Jane, to enter into marriage, love and affection are the most important for her. And then we jump to Mr. Bennett, who may be full of dad jokes, but he can be serious sometimes. He cautions Lizzie to marry someone who she respects, because not respecting your partner will result in an unhappy marriage, which is his advice, and it comes from his personal experience, right? Mm -hmm. Basically saying, don't make the same mistake I made. And it's kind of hard to determine Mr. Bennett's real view of marriage. I mean, clearly this is his re real view of marriage as an older man who has lived this long life, but I wonder what he thought about it prior to this, before he kind of learned his lesson. Mm -hmm. So basically, I don't know. I don't know what to say about Mr. Bennett, but I do know that he says respect is the mm -hmm. most important. I also wonder what part of that spectrum, sorry to interrupt you, but the working man versus the wealthy spectrum that he would have fallen under, would he have gone for right. increasing his wealth or being happy? Because right. he's not quite as high up as, you know, Bingley and Mr. And Mrs. Hurst, but he's slightly sort of better off in the sense that he inherited his wealth than the gardeners so i'm curious yeah. i wonder about that okay yeah yeah i it's hard to say because we know he is a gentleman and mm -hmm. he was very attracted to young mrs bennett and that mm -hmm. is what made him want to marry her but i wonder what he was thinking before he did that i wonder what kind of person he was at that yeah. time in his youth yeah it's hard to say so now what do I think after reading Pride and Prejudice? Here's my conclusion. <laughs> There's no one right way to be married. Yay! <laughs> but I do know that respect and affection are pretty darn important. 
-hmm. think that people change and they grow so much, especially in their late 20s and their early 30s. I also Mm -hmm. think that women grow and come into their own the most during this time specifically. I feel that when girls are young, you know, we see our own families, we see what the media is saying about what a woman's worth is and what a woman should do. And there's a lot of pressure to find a partner, to get married, and to have children. Mm -hmm. I think now there's a growing shift in this thinking, thanks to people who are standing up and showing society that there is so much more to being a woman. Mm -hmm. But we're not there yet. So I really appreciated this reread. Charlotte taught me that you can be in complete control of your life, and despite having to conform to societal norms, you can still find happiness if you know yourself best and take your time to get to know yourself, because Mm -hmm. that's okay. And Charlotte does that. She takes her time to get to know herself. Mm -hmm. Jane showed me that affection is very important. Well, Mr. Bennett says that respect is key, which I agree with both of them there. You need Mm -hmm. both. It's not one or the other. You need both. Mm -hmm. And you might have to create your own happiness, too. And that's it. Yeah. That's my essay. I agree with you. Thanks. I was going to say, one of the things that I heard about I was either in high school or college. I don't remember. But it it was that you don't become the person you're going to be for the rest of your life until you're between like 25 and 27. So for me personally, that was always kind of a marker for me. Like I wasn't going to get married before I was, you know, 25 to 27 at the, you know, 27 at the latest, 25 at the earliest. Uh, Not that I had a lot of prospects, but that's not the point. (laughs) It was because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was the person I was going to be because you are kind of a different person in your early 20s and especially your late teens Mm -hmm. than you are later in life. And you want to make sure that you're growing, like you and the person you're with are growing in the same way and in the same direction. So then you do still have that affection as you grow older. So what's interesting to me is to note that Charlotte, who seems to be the person who knows herself the most and has become the person she's going to be for the rest of her life the most, is 27 Mm -hmm. when she finally gets married. And that's a big deal back then. But her marriage and her views on marriage are probably the best ones to look at because she's a 27-year-old woman looking at this and going, no, I know myself. I know what I need. Yep. And I don't have these big dreams of being swept off my feet because I know that's not reality. And again, she, as we've mentioned in the past, wasn't necessarily looking for romance and a romantic partner. She just wanted to be in in a marriage because that's what she needed and that's what she knew. So listening to Charlotte's advice is probably some of the best marital advice in the book. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought it was really interesting looking at the different types of marriages um mm-hmm. so looking at the hearse as like oh yikes <laughs> yeah that's that's a that's a marriage that conformed with societal norms of the time right your family is essentially choosing i know it doesn't say that but i think we can assume based on mrs hearse mm-hmm. being the oldest like it was probably more of a family alliance thing family mm-hmm. choosing than her own choice yeah yeah versus the gardeners who probably chose each other right? They yeah. met each other, they liked each other, and they got married. Mm-hmm. 
And even if they were in a position where they were like, because he's older than she is, mm-hmm. she's considered young. So even if they were in a position where it was kind of like, oh, well, we don't really know how we're going to make it or like whether or not this marriage is going to work. We like and respect each other enough that we're going to do it. And it turns out that they work really well together. They really like each other, you know? Yeah. So it might not have been the quote unquote whirlwind whirlwind romance that, you know, you might think of when you choose your own partner, but. (laughs) Yeah. And they're the gardener's relationship felt very real Mm -hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of leaving your four children with your niece when you go on vacation with your husband is probably the most real thing I could think of. Yeah, that is yeah. a very modern <laughs> yeah. view of a family structure right there. <laughs> yeah. Also, just leave four kids with your niece. <laughs> yeah. All good. But yeah. That's why you need big families, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just not have kids. That's true. I'm cool with that one. <laughs> uh, Yeah, that's my choice as well. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I do think it's really interesting, though, that you chose to look at your views of marriage Mm -hmm. and your ideas of marriage in relation to this book, considering you are unmarried. Yes. (laughs) I I think about it a lot, though. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I don't blame you. But yeah. But yeah. I was going to say, well, you might not be officially married, but you might as well be married. Yeah. It might as well be. But... uh, I want the day. I want the dress. I want it all. <laughs> I want the day. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so. Okay. So mine is not nearly as long and as thought out because, like I said, flying by the seat of my pants. But I decided to essentially look at my two readings of this book and how I read the book both times, like the lens in which I read it in and kind of looking at it as initially somebody who read it as I'm a lit major, I should be reading this book and now being someone who's reading it for fun. Mm -hmm. So way back before 2010, (laughs) I picked up this book one summer while I was working at a historic house in my hometown. I had plenty of time to read, so I'm like, might as well read something that feels of the time, even though technically the house I worked at would be later than the Regency era. But So I decided I'm going to read Jane Austen. It's going to be fun. I'm going to read Pride and Prejudice because that is the book. That is the Jane Austen book. Mm -hmm. It's Pride and Prejudice. So when I initially read it, I read it because it was the book book that anybody who studies literature has read. Like, you you don't get to say, I have a degree in literature, or I study literature without reading this book, or at least, the very least, being aware of it. It's a classic book. It's classic literature. Everybody knows it. So that's how I saw it when I went into it. I was like, this is, this book and these characters should only be looked at and compared to other classic books and characters, because they are kind of in a class of its own. You know, you read them pretty much as you would read any any classic book. Now, I wouldn't say necessarily that the I looked at these characters as not having flaws or as being perfect, but they were established. They kind of were, in a sense, put on a pedestal. So like Lizzie was the everyday heroine who, you know, was able to essentially get the 
quote unquote Prince Charming in a way. And Darcy was the the man everybody swooned over. He was the perfect, but not perfect, purposefully not perfect kind of romantic guy you were supposed to fall in love with. So these these two characters were on this pedestal. And that's how I read it. So like Darcy was always the guy who did something wrong, who realized, oh, wait, no, I love this woman. I should make up for it. And then they lived happily ever after. And I always looked at the whole theme of the book of like marriage and romance and how, well, of course, Mrs. Bennet is crazy because she's trying to get her five daughters married. And that was of the time and they didn't have any money. So that was how I read it initially. And again, like I said, I thought at the time that this book was something you only compared to its counterparts. So other Jane Austen books or other books of the time or other canonically classic literature books, you know, you didn't compare it to anything modern. You didn't compare it to YA. So I love YA. Me too. Yes. I did my senior thesis on YA. I rewrote Much Ado But Nothing as a YA novel. That was my senior thesis. If I were to ever publish a book, it would probably be a YA book. I read it all the time. So I am actually very disappointed in my my younger self in that I didn't read Pride and Prejudice through a YA lens. Yeah, same. I Yeah, I never did it. Even though YA characters tend to be more like these characters they're usually the same age they're kind of dealing with similar situations so for example in ya a lot of times you have a character who conflicts with their parents or there are no parents which in this case that is kind of true in both senses in that lizzie conflicts with her mom and her well her mom mostly but you could kind of say that there's a little confliction with her father as well for the most part you know she's in the bennett house she has to deal with them But then a lot of times Lizzie's also away from home. She's with her aunt and uncle. She's with the Collinses. So she's away from her parents as well. She doesn't have them kind of looking in on her. So she's able to kind of do some things that you wouldn't necessarily think she would get away with doing (laughs) if she were home. You know, she's dining with big, important people. She's having these private meetings with both Darcy and Fitz. She is making these important connections to other characters that are similar to her in terms of like age and I don't want to say character. I don't know what other word I was going for there, but that's one way Pride and Prejudice is similar to YA. There's both parental oversight and also no parental oversight. So the, the, the hero being Lizzie kind of gets to go off and do what they want to do. There's also a misunderstanding of some shape or form in that there is something that the main character doesn't understand or misinterprets because they are young, which is why YA relates so well to, you know, young adults, because they're making those decisions and making, you know, and having those misunderstandings in their own life. Well, Lizzie is very much like that. She misinterprets Darcy. She misinterprets Wickham. She makes these decisions that are, you know, not necessarily the best decisions or were made because she's naive. Mm-hmm. So very much like YA. Other characters are the same. You could say the same of Bingley. 
Bingley decides not to go back to Netherfield because of what his friend tells him to do. Not necessarily the best decision, probably also a little bit of naivete in there. Same with Darcy. Darcy suddenly decides to propose to this girl, despite the fact that he did all of these terrible things. Not the best move. Not necessarily the smartest decision. So, like, those, th- that's another way that these, this book is very YA-esque. Now, Pride and Prejudice doesn't have, like, a dystopian feel, and there's no big hero's journey or anything like that. So you can't, you can't compare it to, like, Harry Potter or Hunger Games or something like that. It's not like a one-for-one kind of, kind of interpretation here. Right. But it's, yeah, it's, it's very similar. It has similar themes. So that's how I kind of read it this time is I was able to see through that lens of familiarity with YA. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't go into this thinking I'm going to read this as if it's a YA novel. I still went into this thinking, Hey, this is a classic literature book. I need to give it the respect it deserves. It's written old timey, like, so everybody feels older than they are. And they use these big words. Nobody uses. And I forget that they're 18 and 21 and you know, stuff like that. But then I started to see these themes and these things that would pop up that would be like, no, this is a YA novel. This is a YA romance novel, except at the end, everybody gets married. (laughs) So that's kind of how I was able to, or once I made that shift, I started to see that more in this reading. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me was how much like a YA novel this book is. Now, a counterpoint to that is that this novel does deal with a lot of more adult themes in terms of marriage. And like, if you're really reading into it, the whole like taboo of sex before marriage and, you know, running off with your lover and, you know, high society and embarrassing parents and all of that. So there are there are things that aren't necessarily as relatable to young adults today. And then, of course, marriage is a big adult thing that we've already discussed. It's something that only really adults should be doing because it's kind of a big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you remove the marriage part from Pride and Prejudice, it's it's a YA novel yeah. about two people who don't understand each other who fall in love. And it's it's adorable. Yeah. And that's the lens I was able to read it through this time. So that's what stood out. But another thing that stood out, and this is not part of the same essay, quote unquote, is that I want to go back to how I was talking about how these characters were put on a pedestal the first time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're always talked about. They are, you know, Lizzie Bennett and Mr. Darcy. They're, you know, they are what they are. Everybody knows them, or at least they know about them. And their general story is, you know, well known. It's used everywhere. So you think you know it when you're going into the book. And you think you know that, again, it's, Two people misunderstanding each other and then falling in love. You you look at Darcy as this jerk. Yep. Who was all... Sure did. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm not done. So you look at him as this jerk who dissed Lizzie and made some mistakes and eventually made up for it and became this kind of sweet guy. But that's not Mr. Darcy in that sense. There's so much more nuance to him. Like, well, yes, he was a jerk and dissed Lizzie. There's a reason behind it. And when I first read this book, 
because I had had this idea of this character kind of up on a pedestal, I didn't see those nuances. I was just waiting for the next the next story beat. Like, okay, well, he shows up at the ball. Okay, well, now I know he's going to diss Lizzie. And then I know Lizzie's going to diss him back. And, you know, like, I was just waiting for the next beat. I didn't see, I didn't see why Darcy acted the way that he did. So now I see that, you know, he's a, well, yes, he was, has his asshole tendencies. It's because he's a shy private man that doesn't understand how to communicate with people. You know, so you don't see that awkwardness that's hiding behind Darcy. You don't see how he changes when he's in a space where he's comfortable. You don't see how Lizzie eventually becomes us like just being around her makes everything like a space to where he feels comfortable. And he kind of breaks out of his shell in that way, or at least to where what we as readers see, because we see it through Lizzie and Lizzie sees him break through that shell. Now, we weren't seeing it through Lizzie's point of view. He would still look like an asshole, but that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when I initially read the book, I didn't see that. I just thought that Darcy, I don't know, got better. <laughs> <laughs> he just became a better person. All on his own volition. Because I don't know. That's how the story went. You know, like mm. there wasn't as much of a reason for the actual development of him. But now I see that there's all these nuances. So, yeah, the the biggest thing that's changed between me reading it as a 20-something and a 30-something is the lens in which I read it. Because mm-hmm. I'm no longer holding this book up on a pedestal as this is what lit majors read. I'm reading it as a book that you enjoy, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to respond to you reading it through a YA lens because that resonates so hard with me because I love YA just like you do I Mm -hmm. that's basically the only books I buy occasionally Mm -hmm. I'll pick up like a novel novel but like pretty much just YA Mm -hmm. and I can't believe I never like you made that connection this is clearly YA it's Mm -hmm. a YA comedy Right? Because yeah. a comedy is everybody gets married. So it's mm-hmm. a YA comedy. And I never would have, even in if I took YA out of it, I never would have considered this book a comedy. Even though they all get married at the end. And I know that's what is the formula for a comedy. They all get married. Well, also, you <laughs> need to be able result. to. I, I feel like you also, like contemporary comedies, you also want to look at, okay, well, is it funny? Is it happy? And this book is both of those things. Like, there were times where we both wrote lol. Yeah, my whole book is, like, yeah, that. Yeah. Basically. Totally is. What also is interesting, I didn't make that connection in my 20s, and I think it's because I was too close to the situation, right? I was that age. I'm too close to what's going on in these characters' lives, and yet I'm so far removed from it time-wise, right? In my 20s, I wasn't thinking about, like, finding a man and getting married. That's what what made it seem like such high literature. Like, it's separate from me. It's not a part of my life. But now, as, like, a 30-something, where that is more in my my realm of notice, I was like, oh, I get what these characters are going through now. (laughs) I get the jokes. I get why this is funny. (laughs) And, yeah. Also, the whole idea that, like, 
you were the same age as some of these characters when you initially read it and you weren't worried about things like marriage and stuff. Yeah. But they were also made it seem as if they weren't your age. They yes. seemed older. Yes. Which yes. was, I think, I think that that's a huge thing with like reading classic lit is that not only the way it's written and the way in which like the characters speak and a lot of times the things that they do, uh, but like their goals in life are more in line with what, like 30 somethings, 40 somethings do, you know? So I think that's why you should read classic lit as an older person than you should when you're younger, because you're not going to get it in the same way. You're not going to read it through the correct lens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think to go off that point, like when you're looking at the films too, especially the older ones i mean everybody seems so much older because a they're older films so they're dated so people mm -hmm. do look older but also they're using significantly older actors for the most part mm -hmm. whereas in the 2005 like some of the actors were actually pretty close to their actual ages um which made it really interesting i'm thinking specifically of lydia wasn't wasn't mm -hmm. that actress like right around or at least um she? well in 2005 we were in high school and I think that actress is slightly younger than us, if not our age. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you could see it. You could see that more in the 2005. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, they're really, really young as opposed to the BBC miniseries where they seem older. Yeah. How old was Colin Firth in that one? Oh, gosh. Same age know. as he is now because he still looks the same. Very dashing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and to your point, yeah, I do agree with like save classic lit for for when you're older because you'll appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. You won't have that mindset like, oh, I'm 16. Oh, I don't want to read this book. It's so stupid, right? Well, I mean, even talking about oh, sorry, hold on, yes, rewind. Mm -hmm. Jenna Malone is three years older than me. Oh, okay. So, so she was old. She seems younger. You know, she looked yeah. younger and stuff. Also, day. yesterday was her birthday. Oh, neat! Happy belated <laughs> birthday! Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So she's yeah slightly older than us. Yeah, but anyway. Anyway, so yes, save it for when you're older. But what is so great about the time we live in now is these themes are still important for like young students of literature to be aware mm -hmm. of and to know. So isn't it wonderful that there are so many YA Pride and Prejudice adaptations now oh my goodness, that will so many. relate to them, but still hit on those themes. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if I were a high school English teacher still, <laughs> if <laughs> I had like actually done that instead of changing gears and working with the younger students, I would definitely, we would be starting with a YA version and then maybe do selections from the original just to draw comparisons, but yeah. not the whole thing. Well, in high school, yeah, that makes sense. Because I remember reading some books in high school where I was just like, I do not want to read this. Yeah. Over my but, head. Yeah. And this is coming from two AP English, AP Lit English students. Like we, yeah. But anyway, in college... I could see the benefit of yeah. reading the original text, but then making sure you also read an interpretation of it. Because again, like if you read, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this, but 
English lit majors are snooty. We think we're better because we're reading these big fancy books. We're not. It's just, we're not. We just have to read them. That's the whole point. But at the time, like, you're like, well, I'm reading this. So ha ha ha. I'm reading the Fairy Queen in the original language. Isn't that great about me? Don't get me started on that. Uh, (laughs) Especially because Spencer made it sound older than it was on purpose. Let me put it this way. It's like, you think you're all hoity-toity because you're taking an entire class on Shakespeare. But you're not. You're not. So, like, you're going to put the, like I did, like I did when I first read it, you're going to put these books up on a pedestal. You're not going to read them through these lenses that will help you make better sense of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Now I will I will go back and point out that neither one of us read any Austin in college, like with a teacher. So I'm sure had we had we done that, our teachers would have, you know, been great and actually like pointed this stuff out. I actually wouldn't be surprised if some of our professors were like, "Oh no, this is a YA novel." Yeah, like I can, yeah, I can think of one specifically who definitely would have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's that's not on any of our professors. Just throwing that out there because we didn't actually read this book, but. I could see how that wouldn't be a thing like young hoity-toity English majors. <laughs> don't see. They don't see it. We didn't see it. But yeah. Speaking of um, putting these books up on pedestals, let's talk about these books in a hypothetical sense. Yeah. So let's talk about what might have happened had Lydia not run away from Wickham? Because a lot of times when people look at this book, they see that what happens, not just at Pemberley, which Austin flat out says, had Pemberley not happened, uh, Elizabeth and Darcy would not have gotten together. Mm-hmm. But what would have happened had Lydia not gone away with Wickham? Would we have still had our happily ever after at the end? I think yes. Okay. Because I know that Darcy was still coming to the end to see Lizzie specifically to, like, gauge if she still had affection for him Mm -hmm. prior to him knowing about what happened to Lydia, right? Mm -hmm. And while we mused in one episode about (laughs) what would have happened had she not got that letter, like, what was Darcy there for? What would he have done? We've already talked about that, so I'm not going to go back into it. But I I think that, you know, he would have reminded her about dinner, checked in on her, maybe been, like, a little attentive to her, like, give her a little hope that maybe he still liked her because she had been thinking about that. You know, they go to dinner more. He might have been able to talk with her more freely at his house, and maybe affection between them would have been secured a bit sooner, right, than, Mm -hmm. than what actually happened. But I don't think that Lizzie would have truly come to the realization that she truly, truly loved and respected him, because Mr. Bennett says that's important, Mm -hmm. had not Lydia run away and then Darcy was able to come in and do all the things to help him, right? I think she still would have loved him, but like Mm -hmm. the respect Mm -hmm. that she had for him after that probably wouldn't have been there. Maybe that respect might have taken longer to come yeah yeah you know oh so i think that darcy was coming to the inn 
to kind of not only see if Lizzie still liked him, but to kind of gauge where they were at in terms of talking. Because, you know, it had been a couple of days. She'd been at Pemberley. And I think he would have eventually brought her in on the reuniting Jane and Bingley front. Yeah. I think that they would have done that together, quote unquote. I think Darcy would have been like, I'm in charge, back the fuck up, which might have caused a little bit of conflict. I think that Lizzie would have come to the realization that she does love him in a similar way. I don't think it would have happened while she was at Pemberley at Lambton like it did initially. Mm -hmm. I think it would have happened when Jane and Bingley got together. Yeah. Yeah. I think she would have been like, See, he did do this great thing. Because I think that that is kind of, I think what she needed to realize she was falling in love with him was she needed it to be completely taken off the table to realize that it happened. Mm -hmm. And had that not, had had Lydia not run away, she wouldn't have had that. It wouldn't have been completely taken off the table. So I think the next thing that she would have needed would have been a complete and total show of affection and essentially him making up for what he had done because he had hurt her so much. So by bringing uh, Jane and Bingley back together, I think that that would have been that for her. And she would have been like, Oh my gosh, I love him after their engagement, after uh, Jane and Bingley's engagement. Now in terms of whether or not that we would have had the big happy marriage at the end, Mm -hmm. I don't think Mr. Bennett would have been as on board. Because I think one of the reasons why he was on board with Darcy and why he only questioned Lizzie's choice to a certain extent was because he saw what Darcy did for the Bennett family. Yeah. So he knew Darcy's intentions were just as good as Lizzie's intentions. Yeah. And I think that would have been harder for him to have seen. So I think that that might have been a big conflict as well. Right? Mr. Bennett's a man. He needs big gestures, big things in his vision to see what it means, not the subtlety Lizzie like, oh, my affections have changed. I love him. He's like, okay, yeah. All right, fine. I guess if you want. And then he hears what happened. He's like, oh, big gesture. Okay. I got it. I'm on board, Lizzie. Uh, Yep. Sounds great. Well, also, if you think about it, if you look at Mr. Bennett and how he is reflecting back on his own marriage, he is like, okay, Initially, before he found out what happened, he's like, are you sure you really love him? And that it isn't just that he's pretty and has money. Mm -hmm. And then he hears about what happened and that she loves him and everything. And then he's like, oh, okay, no, I see. He definitely loves you because he did this and you love him. And he did this for you. Okay, I see that. But if he didn't have that, it might have just been him sitting here thinking, no, you're making a mistake. You're only going after him for his money because he might not even have seen the Jane Bingley thing as a big enough kind of reason for Lizzie to love him, you know? Yeah, I agree. So I think we would have had a Mr. Bennett cock block. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So now, on the same level, they could have run off to Scotland. (laughs) They would have been the Lydia and Wickham of the story. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, But they would have actually gone to Scotland. (laughs) Yeah, that would have actually happened. Yeah. Um, so, I, well, I don't think that they necessarily wouldn't have gotten together. I just think that they would have had a bigger hurdle with Mr. Bennett. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. So would Lydia, had she not run off with Wickham, do you think she would have 
improved along with Kitty at the end, being exposed to society, or would she make a fool of herself and keep bringing Kitty down? I want to think the best of it. I want to think that she would have changed, or at the very least, Kitty still would have changed, and Lydia would have just kept making a fool of herself in society to the point where Lizzie and Darcy were just like, we can't have you hanging out with us anymore. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I do think that Lydia, like, really got the short end of the stick you know like Mm. she really missed out because she did do this stupid thing because she could have had a much better life but at the same time had she not married wickham i think she still would have ended up marrying somebody random from like meriton or something like that and it might have happened as quickly as after lizzie's wedding because she also needed to get married kind of a thing you know yeah yeah i don't i have no idea i like I think the worst. I think that (laughs) Lydia would have just kept making a fool of herself. I think she would still, she would have brought Kitty down with her because there was no big mistake for Kitty to see and kind of Mm -hmm. learn from, right? And Mr. Bennett wouldn't have had to come down so hard on the younger Mm. girls without that, you know? And Mrs. Mm -hmm. Bennett would still be giving into Lydia's whims and things like Mm -hmm. that. So... Now, see, I will say this with the character Lydia. I do have this problem, like, removing movie Lydia from book Lydia. So, like, I want the best for Lydia in some ways, and I want to give her the benefit of the doubt because I love her in the movie so much. Like, I love Jenna Malone in that movie so much. She's perfect Lydia. Yeah. So that's that's why. It's because I, like, have this little special place in my heart for movie Lydia. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, no, I hope Lydia actually is happy. But also, like, I have to think, no, she's terrible. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe without Wickham, like, as she got older, like, by the time she hit her 20s, maybe she would have mellowed out. But but with Wickham, she never learns her lesson. And so she just ages into, she turns into her mother, essentially. Yeah, well, if she had access to a lot of the stuff that, like, Kitty is going to have access to now that she's you know, in society, I don't think Lydia would have calmed down because she would have had so much more yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Her stage would have been bigger, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, speaking of Lydia being the worst, <laughs> no, that's not her official title. No. But we have decided, because it is the end of the book, that we are going to hand out a few superlatives. Yes. And we do you want to make a point of saying that superlatives in school, not a great idea because terrible. it puts terrible. notions on young people and it's not okay, but putting superlatives onto fictional book characters is totally fine. Exactly. Yes. Very. Yep. It's, it's a lot like the sorting hat. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be sorted when you're 11. No. Because you're gonna, it, it, you change. Yes. Yes. But fictional characters. Totally we fun. should sort the shit out of them. Sort them. Yes. But we're not sorting. We are doing superlatives. We, are. we could sort another time. We I feel could. like that's something yeah, we should do. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. But so here's the thing. We both we put together a list of 10 superlatives. We're going to each go through them. Anytime we have differing choices, I think that we should post it on instagram and see what everybody thinks who they agree with mm-hmm. um also i want to hear what your guys's superlatives are so yes. watch our socials yes i will be putting that out for sure so our very first one 
uh, that I have written down is uh, the cutest couple. Who do you believe is the cutest couple in all of Pride and Prejudice? Oh, this is easy. It's Jane and Bingley, of course. <gasps> really? Yes. Jane and Bingley are the cutest couple. They're so sweet. They're so attentive. They act all goody goody and then they sneak off into the bushes together. Shrubbery. <laughs> <laughs> True, and I don't disagree with you. They are pretty freaking cute. However, I put the gardeners because, come on, they are ditching their four kids and going on a vacation to the lakes. And they apparently do this regularly where they just ditch their kids and hang out together. And I just think that that's like the best life. Like if I had kids, of course, I'd be ditching them and going on vacation (laughs) with my husband. Like, I'm not going to end my life and what I want to do because I have children. So I think that they're freaking adorable. Also, like, it just brought to mind the whole like Mrs. Gardner being like, oh, husband, come help me. I'm getting so weak. I need your strong arm and Lizzie can go walk with Darcy. (laughs) It's just so cute. (laughs) They are pretty cute. (laughs) yes and also why i think that they're really cute is because they do seem to be very attentive to each other's needs so like mrs Mm -hmm. gardner knows that like mr gardner does want to go fishing and is like really interested in the creek at pemberley and she's not gonna like bother him about it Yeah, (laughs) not gonna be like oh let's go i'm getting tired yeah Yeah. she's gonna find her own thing to do at pemberley yeah get the ponies lizzie come on (laughs) yeah so i put the gardeners very nice So what one do you have next? I have most changed next. Okay. I put for most changed, I actually put Lizzie because at the beginning of the book, she's really naive. And by the end of the book, she realizes that, hey, first impressions aren't necessarily something I should base my entire judgment of this entire person on, which is, again, the entire theme of the book. Interesting. I put Mr. Darcy because... Okay, okay. I don't disagree with <laughs> yeah. that. that I, I don't cho- disagree with you about the Lizzie two. either. Yeah. But yeah, I put yeah. Darcy because at the beginning he's pretty snobby. He thinks that, you know, he's the shit. What He likes to be in control and in power. And then as he gets to know Lizzie throughout the book and as, you know, she starts checking his behavior, he learns... That he's been pretty selfish this whole time and it's okay to relinquish power and it's okay to take a step back and see how things work out. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be in control. And I thought that was a pretty big thing for him to change considering his place in society and how he was raised. Right. So I will say this. The reason why I chose Lizzie over Darcy is because I do think that a lot of the stuff and I'm going to beat this dead horse. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things that we see at the beginning aren't necessarily flaws that have changed. It's just that he was a he's a quiet, awkward person. And we, as a reader, now see him open up because he's getting more familiar with Lizzie. I think if we were to walk into Pemberley as ourselves, he would still kind of seem that same way he did at the beginning. So that's why I didn't think that he necessarily changed as much as Lizzie, who does seem to act and kind of i don't know like the way she kind of looks at people has changed now don't get me wrong darcy has changed but i do think that lizzie has changed more but again beating that dead horse darcy isn't as bad as you think he is darcy isn't as bad as you think he is darcy isn't as bad as you think he is (laughs) moving on (laughs) the next one i have is biggest flirt oh that's easy for me that was lydia she is a flirt and a half i 
Agree. Yes. Yay, we finally have one that we both have the same one. Yeah, no, my gosh, Lydia is like. She's a terrible flirt. <sighs> Lizzie says it. She will be the biggest flirt that ever flirted in all yeah. flirting, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Just the fact that she like, when she left with Wickham, she left a note saying, oh, hey, I'll dance with that guy I promised to dance with at another time. It's like, oh, my God, you're running away with a man and you still are like. Oh no, let me let me make sure that I can dance with you later. Yeah. Uh, Ugh, Lydia. Okay, what do you have next? I have best all around. Okay. I have Bingley. Aw, cute. Uh-huh. Cause he's so nice and sweet. He's like a cuddly puppy. So I think that that's why he's best all around. Like he hasn't changed much throughout the whole thing. He's always been great. He's always been adorable. Uh, he's always been super nice. And actually, I think I lied. He has changed because the end of the book, he realizes what his boundaries are mm-hmm. and when it comes to Mrs. Bennett. And I think that that just makes him the great all around. <laughs> I put Lizzie as best all around because okay. even at the, even though she, yes, I agree with you that she has changed throughout the book. I still think mm-hmm. she's the best Like, in the beginning, she's the best in the middle, and she's the best in the end. She is just the best all around. Yeah. I love her. I don't disagree. Yeah. She was was who I was going to put before, but then I was like, "Uh, I don't want to double up. Yeah. Because I already had her as most changed, yeah. So. So my next one, and this was a tough one for me, because I didn't know who to pick, was Biggest Gossip. Ooh. You know what? I put two people. <gasps> you can't do that. But they work together. They work together. Mm, okay, work I think I know together. who you have. Okay. If it, if it's who I think it is, then I think it's okay. Well, maybe. I might trick you. Okay, so oh. I have my biggest gossip is Mrs. Bennett and Lady Lucas. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. They work together. I have Lady Lucas. Okay, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I, 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 originally, I wrote her first. I wrote Lady uh-huh. Lucas first, to be clear. Yeah. But I'm like, would Lady Lucas say all this stuff if Mrs. Bennett didn't give her the info? Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm. So I think that she would. That's why I think she would find a way to get all this info, which is yeah. why I put her initially. But I was torn between Lady Lucas, Mrs. Bennett, and Lady Catherine. Yeah, same. So that's why I'm like, okay. But I do have Mrs. Bennett somewhere else. Okay. Well, I only so have Mrs. Yeah. Bennett here with Lady Lucas because they worked. Yeah. I, I thought they worked in tandem. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't this person and they're separate. It's like, together, they are mm-hmm. the biggest gossip. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I, I also do, I think that Lady Lucas would find just as much gossip because I don't think that she's in a happy marriage. So... <laughs> adorable he's awkward and weird but he's adorable i don't think she's she's getting enough drama yeah maybe not okay what's your next um least likely to succeed okay i have wickham because it's true because it's true (laughs) yeah because it's true yep and he doesn't succeed he doesn't at all anything he does he doesn't succeed and he was given plenty of opportunity to yep yeah Okay, my next one is most opinionated. 
I put Mary because <gasps> Mary can't okay. help but give a sermon. She can't help but like step in and like say what she's thinking. And I love her for that. Yeah. I put Mrs. Bennett. Oh. <laughs> because Liddy turns on a fucking dime. She will give you her opinion on both sides of an argument, whether you asked for it or not. And actually, she will start an opinion yeah. and talk your ear off about it. And then like a switch will go off. And the next thing you know, she is she is giving you her opinion about either something completely different or the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Like that woman has so many opinions. <laughs> she has to give them all. Yeah. At one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, my next one is cutest couple that never was. Okay. I picked, and again, this is never was. Never was. But could. Could have been. Online, in fan fiction, Georgiana Darcy and Caroline Bingley. Interesting. They become really good friends. Miss Bingley has was like talking about Miss Darcy to Mr. Darcy and wanting to like get information. And yeah, she was trying to flirt with Darcy. But in my mind, she also could have been asking not only because she wants the intel, but because she wants to seem interested to get Darcy to marry her so that she can be sisters with Georgiana and then they can be even closer. Because of course, gay marriage wasn't a thing then. But let's move this into a modern setting. Georgiana and Caroline would totally be together and it would be adorable. And yeah, that's that's the cutest couple that never was for me. Very nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just put Fitz and Lizzie because they're adorable together. And that, if Darcy yeah. hadn't come back, if he hadn't come around, if he's just like, fucker, then Fitz and Lizzie. I would have been all about that. Mm-hmm. That's a book I want to read. That's I want to know what too. they. I want to know what their life turned into. Yeah. Like, if it would have. Oh, wouldn't it have been great if, like, you start this book and you're like, oh, it's going to be Darcy and Lizzie and Darcy and Lizzie, and then you get to that point and Fitz just comes in and he's like, fuck it, I don't care about money. Come with me, Lizzie, and they go <laughs> off on their own. Yes, that would have been amazing. Yes, I also want that fanfic. Thank yes. You. Yes. I'm putting in my, I'm just going to like post a fan, a Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice orders. fanfic. Yeah. Order. Yeah. Where can I, where can I put those in at? <laughs> yep. So my next one is most likely to talk your ear off. I put Lady Catherine. Me too. Yeah. She can't stop talking. Even when you have ended the conversation, she's going to chase after you and keep Mm -hmm. on talking. She might even drive two days away from her house in Rosings to chat your ear off. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man, that woman. All right. And the last one is not a normal superlative that you would find on a yearbook superlative list. I mean, if I if I was in charge of all of the yearbook superlative lists, it would be on every single one of them because this is information you need to know. This is not school appropriate. <laughs> Nonsense. But, I was on yearbook. I saw what went into that stuff. But it is fun. It is a fun yes. superlative. So the last superlative is most likely to be a serial killer. Now, <laughs> just go with me here. Mm-hmm. 
Now, this might not be like serial killer, but in my mind, this person could kill a lot of people. Kitty. Oh, interesting. Like, I'm thinking more like secret assassin. Okay. But at the same time, like, almost like villanelle assassin. Interesting. From Killing Eve. So she's like a serial killer and an assassin. Yeah. She's so yeah. uninteresting that you would never suspect her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And she's the youngest. Now, this wouldn't happen until after she mannered up a little bit because she was a little too silly before. Mm-hmm. But I think after she learned her lesson, she could secretly be a serial killer slash assassin. Interesting. Yeah. Who'd you put? Uh, I put Mr. Collins because he's such a creep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Like, that's <laughs> and, like full-on serial killer. But, like... In my brain, it's not the Mr. Collins from the 95. He's just, like, dopey and, like, Mm -hmm. he's, like, Peter, he's, like, Peter Pettigrew. Like, the 95 Uh Collins is basically Peter Pettigrew to the point where I'm, like, is this Peter Pettigrew? What? (laughs) But the 05 Mr. Collins, Mm -hmm. like, he is, he is kind of fire and brimstone-y more so than the earlier. So, like, I would see him as, like, a kid. A serial killer for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, like you can really see that if you then watch that same actor in the last, sorry, in the second and third Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh yeah, for sure. Because he's the villain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For sure. Ugh. But yeah, no, Mr. Collins is like actual serial killer, like hiding bodies in the basement serial killer. Whereas I was thinking Kitty is more like killing E villanelle. Right. Doesn't help that I just finished watching season three. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that is our last big discussion about Pride and Prejudice, the actual Jane Austen book. But we're not done. What's next? That's a great question. What's next is more Pride and Prejudice. But we're done. I'm confused. No, we're not. You're not. You're totally not. (laughs) Just kidding. We're going to read some of those adaptations that we were kind of talking about Mm -hmm. before. Specifically YA ones, because they're the best and we both love YA. Yes. So we're also going to watch the two adaptations. Yes. I mean, there's more than two film adaptations, but we're going to watch the two that we've been talking about because one is Elle's favorite and one is mine. And if you don't know which is which by now, come on. (laughs) also let me just throw it out there anytime you see anything on our social media that's using images from the 95 adaptation those were posts katrina put together (laughs) because i always use the 2005 pictures mostly because i take them from netflix (laughs) nice anyway but yeah we're going to in our next couple episodes we're going to talk about the those two adaptations the 95 and 2005 Kind of going to compare them because it's been a long time since I've seen the 95 version. And it's been a long so. time since I've seen 2005. So it's perfect. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've watched 2005 all the way through as well. But that's not the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then just to kind of keep on the theme of comparing things, we have picked out six book adaptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of them is technically not YA. Mm-hmm. But six book adaptations. I'm going to read three of them. Katrina's going to read three of them and we're going to talk about them. Uh, We're kind of going to put them head to head in an episode. So our first two, we're going to take a look at adaptations of the book through different characters' point of views. So, for example, Katrina is going to read one through the point of view of Mary Bennett. My favorite Bennett sister. Yeah. 
And I'm going to read one through Mr. Darcy's point of view. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to read along, I'm reading Mr. Darcy's Diary by Amanda Grange. And then I'm reading The Other Bennett Sister by Janice Hadlow. So if you would like to read any of those kind of along with us, that's what we're doing first. Yeah, and if you really are going to read The Other Bennett Sister, start early. It's a long one. Yeah, but you'll actually have plenty of time because we are also deciding to switch up our, um, our release format. Thank you. Our release format. We're going to switch up our release format. Uh, We are going to switch to every other week. Yes. This is not just because holidays are coming up and, you know, time for that, but also... Because also we need time to read these books and watch these films. Yeah, we need time. We're reading whole books and talking about them per episode as opposed to sections. Yeah. 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 Also, the 95 Pride and Prejudice is like six episodes. <laughs> it's so good, but though. Anyway. Yeah, I know. Uh, fun fact. Fun mm-hmm. fact. If you hop on a plane out of O'Hare and you're flying to Anchorage, Alaska, the 95 BBC Pride and Prejudice is the perfect thing to watch because it will be done by the time you land. Good to know. Anybody in Chicago who also has to go to Anchorage. <laughs> oh, just me? Oh, okay. I mean, obviously not right now because of COVID, but in yeah. another world, just me probably. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to switch it up. You're going to see us every other week, but uh, don't worry. We're going to still be packing in as much content as humanly possible. So, but anyway, but yeah, so that's what we have coming up. And then once we are all Pride and Prejudiced out, we will be moving on to our next Austin book. And when we do that, we'll be back to every week. So, yes. yeah, we're not going away for too long. But, yeah. And, of course, I will put all of these details online so y'all know. And you don't have to keep coming back and listening to this episode and listening to me sit here and just continue talking. Because <laughs> I don't know what else to say. No, just follow <laughs> us on Instagram. You'll see all of our updates, our fun memes to help you get ready for our when we're going to do our movie episode and when we're going to do our individual adaptation episodes mm-hmm. check us out there that'll give you all the information you need uh yep indeed okay well i think that's all for this episode so thank you everybody for listening we love you all so much and we look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks bye bye Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. We are hosted on Podbean, but you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at witbeyondmeasure.com, or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBMPodcast. I'm going to say that again. It's W-B-M podcast.